Well, getting started today in a brand new series, I want to ask this question. How many of you can remember who you wanted to be like when you were growing up? I would imagine most of us can. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was some celebrity. Maybe it was someone who was really dominant in a particular sport or for your favorite team. Or, or maybe there was someone on TV that you thought, man, I want to be like them. Or maybe it wasn't that you wanted to entirely be like them, but there was something about them that you wanted your life or your hair or, or your abilities to be just like them. I remember when I, when I was eight years old, the Green Bay Packers sent a second round pick, which eventually became a first round pick, for a backup quarterback from the Atlanta Falcons, who we knew at the time as Brett Favor. His name was Brett Favor as far as we knew. Yeah, we're talking Brett, about Brett Favre. I actually met Brett Favre shortly after that trade. Um, the Packers sent a group of players for a charity event at our high school uh, where the local firefighters and the police department officers um, were, were going to play the Green Bay Packers in a game of basketball. And shortly before halftime, this newly acquired backup quarterback threw up a three-quarters you know, court shot to beat the buzzer, and it went in. And at halftime, we had an opportunity to go talk to the players and get autographs and, and, and meet the players and all that kind of stuff. And, and I remember thinking after he made that shot, I was like, I've got to go meet that guy. So at halftime in the, low, in the little high school gym of Watoma High School, I went and I shook Brett Favre's hand. I got an autograph uh, from Brett Favre on his rookie card. And so that night I, I got to see Brett Favre play you know, as, as a 23-year-old guy, as me as an 8-year-old kid watching Brett Favre. I walked out that night with an autographed Brett Favre rookie card which two weeks later I traded for a play, for the card of a player who actually played. This was a backup quarterback. I could trade it for a guy who actually was going to play on the team. What a great value in my opinion. Not the best story on my part. Anyway, a few games into the next season, Brett Favre became the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, and it started a run of play from him and from the team that was really fun to watch. They went to the Super Bowl a couple times, won a Super Bowl. He won multiple MVPs. But one thing really stood out about Brett Favre watching him as a young kid. And what really stood out was it was how hard and how far he could throw the football. It was rumored that in practice he threw so hard that he had broken a few fingers of his receivers multiple times. It was talked about routinely that teammates asked him to stop throwing the football so hard in the cold of Green Bay because it made it much more difficult to catch as hard as he was throwing it. And the dude could throw as far as anyone in the world. I remember one of his first seasons he made the Pro Bowl and, and at the Pro Bowl they had a televised event of QB skills quarterback skills and one of the skills was you know farthest quarterback throw and you had these guys who were legends like Steve Young and Dan Marino and all these guys who were you know Drew Bledsoe these guys with rocket arms and they were putting everything they could into throwing it 65 yards and Brett Favre stepped up and with just a you know relative ease with a flick of a wrist he threw it 74 yards and then his next throw went over 74 yards Yards. I mean, they, like these guys were putting everything they could into throwing 65, and he was just with ease, just chucked the ball. And so that's when I knew. That's when I knew what I wanted to do with my wife, my life. I wanted to throw a football like Brett Favre. That 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 as an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old kid watching Brett Favre, that's what I knew I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to throw the football just like Brett Favre. So I was 10 years old, and at that moment, that's all that mattered to me. That's all that mattered to me. I wanted to throw a football like Brett Favre. So I would go outside, and I would take my Nerf football, and I would practice throwing so I could get as good as Brett Favre. And what I found out is what they, so his, you know, 74 yards, I threw it about 20. And then, and then 21. And so I was so far off and I thought, okay, well, the problem must be the Nerf football. I need to get a real football. Maybe that'll go further. And so I got a real football and I went out and you want to know how far I could throw with the real football? About 10 yards. 
I was 10 years old, 10 yards, maybe 11 years. I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't throw very far. And I couldn't throw the football like Brett Favre. I know that's probably surprising to you. It was surprising to me at the time that I couldn't throw the football like Brett Favre. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't try that hard. I didn't keep trying very hard. I was disappointed in myself that I couldn't throw it as far as Brett Favre right away. And so I kind of just gave up on the idea of throwing a football like Brett Favre. And I gave up on my goal. I, I gave up on my dream. I gave up on my dream. You know, now I bring that up today because I think a lot of us have experiences like that across the course of life. You wanted to have hair like someone famous with great hair, but you didn't, but your hair didn't work quite the way their hair worked. Maybe you had a little bit of a curl and they had straight hair and it was just never going to work for you. You wanted to dunk like Michael Jordan, but you could barely touch the bottom of the net, so you moved on. You wanted to take breathtaking photos in nature, but the first time you tried photography, it didn't end up looking as good as you hoped, so you moved on. And it happens to all of us, and it's a really normal, natural part of life. Here's the principle, is that we move on quickly from things that don't come naturally. We move on quickly from things that don't come naturally. And for a lot of life, that ends up being a really good thing. That ends up being a really good discipline, that when something doesn't come naturally, we actually move on quickly. So we don't, because we don't want to waste time or energy on things we might never be good or great at, it can be a really good thing to move, to move on quickly. We don't want to waste money or resources on equipment that will make us, that will never make us good at our dreams. So where that becomes a problem, though, is when it comes to our faith. Because here's what our faith calls us to. Our faith calls us to be like Jesus. Our faith calls us to be like Jesus, to actually be and to actually live like Jesus. That's actually what the term Christian is all about. It literally means Christ followers or Christ-like or little Christ. The term actually came because the early church was so concerned and so obsessed with being like Christ that outsiders began using the term mockingly because all we hear about from these people is being like Christ, is being like Christ. They're just little Christ. That's where the term came from. And this is the other thing I know. And, 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 and the other part of this that makes this such a challenge, and I feel very confident saying this after 30 plus years of trying to follow Jesus and live like Jesus, being like Jesus is really hard. Being like Jesus can be really hard. Being like Jesus is really hard because none of it comes naturally to us. None of it comes naturally to you. None of it comes naturally to me. It's not natural for us to love others the way Jesus loved. It's not natural for us to serve people the way Jesus was willing to serve. It's not natural for us to be secure in ourselves and who we were created to be the way Jesus was secure in himself. It doesn't come naturally for us to have peace the way that Jesus often demonstrated having peace. You could even go so far as to say this. Everything Jesus wants us to be is the opposite of what comes naturally to us. And because none of this comes naturally to us, our temptation is to give up on the idea of being like Jesus. To kind of settle for life like we've always lived it with, lived it with just a little bit of belief in Jesus attached to it. To settle for what we've always done. To live like we've always lived. But that is not what we have been called to. That's not what we've been called to. We have been called to a life that's like Jesus. To be like Jesus. Jesus, and even though it doesn't come naturally, that's what we're called to. And the author of the book of Hebrews gives us a really great insight into what our calling is as we follow Jesus and, and how we attempt to live like Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Endurance meaning sometimes it doesn't come easily, it's not going to come naturally, and we're still called to do it, we're still called to live it, even though it doesn't come naturally, even when it isn't easy. That's why it requires endurance. 
there are things that we actually endure. We endure a time where it doesn't come naturally. We endure a time where it doesn't come easily for us. We endure a time where we have to work for it. So endurance, we run with endurance the race God has set before us. And then he says this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates, would you say initiates, who initiates and perfects our faith. I mean, this is, a, this is a really amazing set of verses. See, we don't give up when things don't come naturally and they aren't easy. And that's great life advice, and that's wonderful. But I think a lot of us, we want something a little bigger when it comes to the idea of actually living like Jesus. So at first, first, he's like, okay, so we don't give up. We don't give up. We endure. We run with endurance. We run with endurance the race that we're called to live out, the race that, that we're called to. But then we, he goes a little bit further. In, instead, the author of Hebrews writes, we focus our eyes on Jesus, because Jesus is the one who initiates. Jesus is the one who starts, who begins, who founded, is the origin of our faith. He's there. In other words, he's there at the very beginning. When we don't know anything, when we're still trying to figure everything out, when we barely know anything about him, when we don't even know what it looks like to follow him, Jesus is there at the very beginning. And I would say that Hebrews would argue, and I think the entire New Testament would argue, that Jesus himself is the very beginning, the very foundation of our faith, that faith begins with Jesus. But the, the author then goes on to say he's not just the beginning of our faith. He's also, he's also, he's also the one who is there at the very end. He's the one who makes perfect our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who makes it perfect, who makes a way, who guides us step by step by step by step until our lives look like his. Until our faith lived out looks more and more and more and more like Jesus. This is a beautiful thought that Jesus is there at the very beginning when we know nothing and we have nothing figured out and we're really, really bad at following him. And he's there until the very end when he's guided us to look and to live and to follow and to look more and more and more like him. And here's, so, so with all of that in mind, here's kind of the bottom line. Here's the bottom line driving thought of this entire series. Here's the whole thought. If Jesus is the beginning and perfection of our faith, then our faith lived out should look more and more like Jesus as life goes on. That if Jesus is the beginning and the perfection of our faith, then our faith lived out should look more and more like Jesus as our lives go on. To use our analogy from before, when I start, I might only be able to throw a football 20 yards, and then if I work hard, I might throw it 25, and then if I work hard again, I might throw it 30, and I might throw it 35, and I might eventually throw it 40 yards, and I might never actually throw it as far as Brett Favre, or throw it as hard as Brett Favre, but with work, I can get more and more and more and more like Brett. And the same thing, the same thing is true for our faith lived out, that I may never be exactly like Jesus, but I want my life every single day to look a little bit more like Jesus than it looked the day before. To look a little bit more like Jesus than the day before, that every single day we can be a little bit more like Jesus. And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how we can grow to be more like Jesus. We're going to talk about how we can have peace like Jesus. We're going to talk about how we can be secure like Jesus. We're going to talk about how we can serve like Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about how we can love like Jesus. 
See, when you start talking about loving like Jesus, it's always interesting because we all tend to pick and choose a little bit. We, 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 we all have something that we focus in on, something that we emphasize to the detriment of something, something else. Some of us, we look at Jesus and we emphasize that Jesus you know, loved outcasts and no one was beyond the reach of Jesus' love. You know, no one was beyond the reach of his warmth and his kindness. And, and, and so Jesus, you know, we, we focus on the fact that Jesus didn't require anything from anyone in order to receive his love. Others of us focus on Jesus' teaching as love, that Jesus told the people truth. Jesus told people the truth, and the most loving thing a person can do is to speak the truth and to tell them the truth. And these things we often put against each other as one meaning meaning more than the other, or one kind of being more important than the other. And interestingly, when we do that, it actually teaches us more about our idea of love and our ideas of Jesus than it does about anything else. And so what I want to do, if we want to understand Jesus's version of love and Jesus's example of love, the kind of love that we're called to live out and grow in, maybe just maybe it's best to learn and understand from a firsthand witness to Jesus' love, from some, someone who experienced it firsthand, who saw it with their own eyes, who felt it with their own skin, for someone who was right there, who saw Jesus in the flesh. Here's what John, one of the disciples of Jesus, said about Jesus' love. It says this in 1 John chapter 3, This is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is the message. This is the whole message. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And John is basically saying, look, if you've read anything that I've written, the message includes we love one another. If you've read Paul, Paul is very clear that Jesus taught that we should love one another. If you've read Peter, if you've heard Peter preach, Peter is going to always emphasize that Jesus called us to love one another. If you've read James, if you've read James or if you've heard James preach, like the brother of Jesus knew that Jesus called everyone to love one another. If you've talked to any of the disciples, the message includes that we are called to love one another. This is the baseline. This is a big deal from the very beginning. We're to, to believe in Jesus and we're to show our love for Jesus by loving one another and by loving other people. This is at the core of the message of Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus by loving one another. Love has been the message from the very beginning. Then he goes on in verse 14. He says this, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. This echoes back to what Jesus said during his earthly ministry. They will know that you are my disciples by your love. By your love. This is a big deal. This is how Jesus said the onlooking world would recognize us. How we should be known. How, how, how the world should recognize Christians. How the, how the world should understand that these people have been defined. They've been marked by God. And you can't miss this when you see this aspect of their lives. That this is how... The world should recognize and should know you, that you are my disciples if you love one another. That if we've really discovered the love of God and are wanting to unmistakably show the world around us that something has happened and something has changed in you, it's through love. And you could say this, this is one of my favorite ways of saying this, that our devotion to God is authenticated and demonstrated through your love for others. That your devotion to God my devotion to God, it's ultimately authenticated and it's most clearly demonstrated through our love for others. So you want people to know you love God? You love them. You want people to know that you love God and that God has changed something in you? You show the love of Jesus to the world around you.
And then John goes a step further. He doesn't just say, so do your best to be loving. You know, don't, don't love the way your parents raised you. Don't love the best example of how, of, you know, when you feel like it. Don't just, do, don't just do that. Don't just do your best to be loving. He points to the ultimate example of love, Jesus. And then he unpacks what Jesus' love looked like, what real love still looks like. In verse 16, he starts, he says this, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. He says, and he closes off this way, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. You want to know, you know John's bottom line? John's bottom line is he's evaluating the love of Jesus that's supposed to be the way that we would love others around us. Here's the bottom line. is simply this, that if you want to be more like Jesus, you take daily steps to grow in love like Jesus. If you want to be more like Jesus, this is the example. And every single day we can take a step and I can take a step and you can take a step to grow in loving people the way Jesus loved Jesus people. And so today I have five things from this passage and, and, and from the way that Jesus loved people that I want to point out that every single one of us, we, can, we, we, we may struggle in a particular area, but we can all grow in the way we love one another, in the way we love other people. And the first thing that I want to point out is that Jesus's love was selfless. It was selfless. Here's a question. How good are you love at loving when there is nothing in it for you? How, how good are you at loving other people when there is nothing in it for you? In other words, when you don't gain anything by your love, are you willing to love? You could call this one-sided love, meaning no reciprocation, no payback, no earn back, no I get this in return. Do you have a type of love that is selfless? Jesus taught and Jesus modeled and Jesus' followers recognized this in Jesus, that Jesus modeled a love that was selfless. I mean, when you think about this, did Jesus have anything to gain leaving heaven to come to earth? Nope. He had all the power, all the privilege, and all the authority of heaven before he came to earth. And when you have all of that, there is virtually nothing that earth can offer that's better than what heaven has. There is nothing that Jesus gained by leaving heaven. Jesus only gave, only loved. Jesus gained but like, I mean, but, but at the end of the day, there was nothing that we could give Jesus in return. Nothing that Jesus got in return from leaving the goodness of heaven. But Jesus came to give, not to receive. It was a selfless kind of love. See, love like Jesus looks like loving when there is nothing in it for you. See, we actually as a family, if I could just talk about this for a little bit, what this can look like. We felt this as a family a big time when we had COVID uh, at Christmas because we, we felt a lot of love from people when we literally had no opportunity to give anything in return. We, had, uh, we experienced a lot of love from people who literally were like, hey, please don't give us anything in return because if you give us anything right now, you're going to give us COVID. And so, I mean, we had like, like, like people were bringing groceries and then people asked, you know, like, hey, I know you got groceries, but is there anything else you need? And people were bringing milk because we couldn't get milk in our grocery order and then couldn't get eggs in our grocery order. And one couple in the church, he brought Kraft mac and cheese so our girls wouldn't have a meltdown and Mountain Dew so I wouldn't have a meltdown. And another family brought us a meal that we couldn't taste, but we so appreciated because, because, because it meant we didn't have to cook 
hook for that day. And it was just phenomenal to see people show up and show out bringing us water, bringing gallons and, and, and cases of water because they know that you know, you're supposed to stay well hydrated. It was, it was just absolutely phenomenal. And to the best of my, my memory, and I, the COVID kind of leaves you in a little bit of a fog, to the best of my memory, not one of those people asked for anything in return. I, th I think every single one of those people, they would have been mad if we tried to give them something in return. That's what Jesus' love looks like. It's a love that's willing to give, willing to show love, even when there's nothing in it for me. When I get nothing back, that's a love like Jesus. That's the kind of love that we're called to live out and the kind of love that even when it doesn't come naturally, you can choose it. You can choose to take a step to grow in it. You can choose to push past the fact that, oh, I don't feel like I'm getting anything returned but I'm still going to love. And even, and even when that doesn't come naturally for you, you can choose it every single day. We can grow to love like Jesus because Jesus' love was selfless. And even if selfless love doesn't come naturally to us, we can choose to follow Jesus into a selfless kind of love. Let me give you the second word. It's action-oriented. Action-oriented. Action-oriented type of love. See, our love should be more than feelings. It should lead to actual acts of love. See, like when you look at Jesus' example, Jesus didn't feel like people should have food. Jesus multiplied food for them. Jesus didn't feel bad for lepers. He touched lepers and he healed lepers. Jesus didn't just wish that blind people could see. He walked up and he placed his, their, his hands on their eyes. Or, and he told them, and he, and he interacted with people that society overlooked. Jesus didn't just feel for the disciples in the boat. He calmed the storm. Jesus didn't feel for the woman caught in adultery. He stood between her and her accusers with stones in their hands. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. At some point along the way, if we're going to love like Jesus, it has to move from feelings to actions. That feelings are not enough when it comes to loving like Jesus. That feelings have to be met with action that helps people experience love. It's going to require some sweat from you. It's going to require some tears from you. It might require some muscle soreness from you. It's going to require sending an encouraging text, not just thinking good vibes. It's going to actually sending the text or actually calling a person. It might require writing a check to help someone out. It's going to require doing something, not just feeling something. I love this that Bob Goff wrote in his book, Love Does. He said this, love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, love does. Love does. This is a big deal. No one can experience anything by, by your feelings. People only interpret you by your actions. That's why to love like Jesus, love has to go more than feelings. Love has to be more than feelings. Look, Justin Timberlake might not be able to stop the feeling, but every single day we can choose to top the feeling. That's a terrible line that I just wrote in a sermon, and I hope it, I hope it sticks in your head, that Justin Timberlake might not be able to stop the feeling, but you can top the feeling. In other words, you can choose to go beyond your feelings. You can choose to go beyond the feelings to, to do something, to show actual real life flesh and blood love to someone else. This is what John meant when in, in that last line he wrote, God is greater than our feelings. Because we can choose to go past our feelings in the way we love one another. It's what John meant when he wrote, let us not love only with our words, but also with our actions. That you may not feel love, but God's love through you can always choose to show love. And for some of you, that's an area to grow in. That you're really good at feeling it, but you're not so great at actually putting action to it and to show love real 
genuine love. But that's an area that Jesus can help us grow in. And we can become more like Jesus where we don't just feel it, but we actually act out our love. Here's the, here's the third word. The third word I would say is that Jesus' love, the love that Jesus modeled for us, is a love that is sacrificial. And see, this sounds just like a repeat of selfless love, but it's another step entirely. See, selfless love is when there's nothing in it for you. Sacrificial love is when it actually costs you something. When it costs you time that you can't get back. When it costs you big money and you'll have to go without in order to make up for it or maybe something in your family will actually have to sacrifice and and might suffer for a little bit in order to make up for what you gave away see this is us following the gospel example of jesus that to make up for your sin to pay the price that you need to pay for right standing with god jesus laid down his life and he sacrificed his life when he went to the cross jesus served as the ultimate sacrifice that jesus showed the ultimate example of sacrificial love to meet your needs so that you would know that god didn't just feel bad for you and didn't just feel bad for 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 the way that you were lost in your sin but he sent his son to be the savior and the sacrifice for your sin to make up for your sin jesus served as the ultimate sacrifice he sacrificed his body it was broken for you He sacrificed his blood. It was shed for you. He suffered for you. He died for you. Jesus did that for you so that you could have a relationship in right standing with your heavenly father and could know the love of your heavenly father. Jesus' love was so big that it caused him to give and to sacrifice himself, his own life for you so that you could know the love of your heavenly father. And for some of you, as we close the service today, you need to place your trust in that to begin a relationship with your heavenly father by trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus made for you by trusting that Jesus, when he died, he paid for your sins so that you could experience a new life and and follow him in his resurrection life. But to love like Jesus To love like Jesus, it will require sacrifice. It will eventually cost you something. To love like Jesus means that you make a choice to be willing to love even when it costs you something. And many of us, that's a difficult step to take. But if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be more like Jesus, if our love is going to be more like Jesus, that's a step that we can all take. And that's a step that we can choose to take day by day by day. And it can start with a little sacrifice and a little bit of giving something up, a little bit of being willing to be inconvenienced and a little bit of willing to to do something that makes us a little bit uncomfortable and stretches us. But we can all choose to live a sacrificial love like Jesus. The fourth word that I would point to when it comes to living a love like Jesus and growing in love to be more like Jesus is the word showing. The word showing. And maybe a better word for this would be purpose. That Jesus' love was always purpose. That Jesus' love was always designed to show God's love to someone. That it was never just about Jesus, but Jesus was always trying to help people understand and see and experience and know something about God that they had not experienced or known before. Jesus was always showing something with his love. And as his followers, we're called to do the same, to love in a way that leads people to experience and to know God's love. And now when you hear that, you might think, okay, this is the whole, this is the whole problem. Because this makes it sound like I need people to do something in response to my love. And at the end of the day, 
I don't. And Jesus didn't. Jesus loved people whether they, whether they turned to God or not. Jesus loved people whether they got the point or not. Jesus loved people and served people whether they, whether they came around and got the thing that Jesus was trying to talk, talk to them about or not. Like Jesus cared about people and Jesus loved people whether they loved him or not. Jesus cared about people whether they cared about God or not. Like Jesus, that, that wasn't the whole thing. But when it's within our power, I think Jesus showed that we have a responsibility to make sure that our love connects people to something bigger than ourselves. And so one of the things that I try to do is to be very conscious about opportunities to spread the love of God in small ways whenever I'm interacting with our community, whenever, especially when we're doing community service-oriented projects, that, that, that my love and my service connects to something bigger. And so I always, and this is going to sound funny, I always wear a movement shirt if I'm out serving because if my shirt during my service can be influential in someone coming to Jesus through a local church, I mean, done. Like, every single time. And you think like, well, a shirt can't do that. But a shirt might do that. It's one way, a really simple way that I can do it. I always ask, if we're at like a food distribution or something like that, I always ask if I can say God bless you to the people that we're serving and to people that we're distributing food to. You might think, you ask? Yes, because it's not my event. I don't want to assume that I can just do whatever I want. I ask, and I have never been told that I couldn't say God bless you to people at food distributions or anywhere in our community. And when I do that, what's amazing is while I'm giving a food box or putting a food box in the back of someone's car and saying, hey, God bless you. Sometimes, many times this has happened, people will say, well, hey, could, could, you, could you pray with me? Could, we, could, we, could, I, could I talk to you for a second? And the, that simple God bless you becomes an opportunity to point people to something bigger than just a box of food, but to the God who actually loves them. Every time we write a check or every time we do a financial transaction to help someone in our community or to help an organization or to help missionaries in our community, we, we, I, I pray as we're making the transaction or as we're writing the check because I want on the other side of that check, I want people to feel the love of God. And these are simple, simple, simple ways that our service and our love can be showing, can actually point to something bigger than our love and something bigger than ourselves. And the more opportunities that you have to do this, the more interaction you have in the community. And by the way, I would say that if, if you don't work for a church, you have more opportunities than I have to serve people and to love people and to make sure that your love connects to something bigger than yourself. Because our love should always be showing, should always be purpose, should always be helping someone see and experience the God who loves them more than we ever could. If we want to love like Jesus, our love should be showing. And then finally, finally, our love should be for everyone. Should be for everyone. If we want to grow in love like Jesus, we have to understand that Jesus loved everyone. There was no one beyond the reach of Jesus's love. There was no one who had gone too far, done too much, had the wrong political ideas, was on the wrong side of an issue. There was no one who Jesus refused to love Bob Goff again. I mean, this is the second Bob Goff quote, so this will be it. But he said this, there's a big difference between liking Jesus and being like him. And he said we would never be able to be like him unless we loved our enemies. Now, here's the thing. It's easy for us to love people who are like us. It's easy for us to love people who agree with us. It's easy to love people who go to the same church as us. It's easy for us to love people who are raising their kids the same way as us. It's easy for us to love people with all the same political ideas as us. It's easy to do that. People who like the same restaurants as us. It's easy to love those people. But Jesus did call us all to love our enemies. Jesus said it's easy to love those who love you. He said, but I'm calling you to love your enemies. If you want to follow me, if you want to be like me, if you want to you'll be more like Jesus, we have to love when it's not easy when it doesn't come naturally. 
So yeah, enemies doesn't mean that someone's actually trying to attack you. Someone's trying to end you. Someone's trying to end your life. But enemies in our context today would look like this. It's people who you don't like. It's the people that you disagree with. It's the people that you've had past experiences with and things didn't go so well. And you wonder if there's any relationship that could be possible or if it could be possible to actually love someone like that. People you disagree with, people who are hard to love, you know there are people who are hard to love. People who are rude to you. When you get cut off in traffic, can you still be loving to someone? If you get cut off by someone in a parking lot and they take your spot and the next spot is five, five places down the line and you're going to see them when you walk into the store, can you actually be loving to that person who was rude to you? People who have hurt you in the past, can you show forgiveness to people who have hurt you? People who have lied to you? People who have made commitments and then broke them? See, at the, at the end of the day, this is really where the metal meets the road of love, isn't it? That some people are easy to love, some people are difficult. But we grow to be more like Jesus when we love the difficult ones too. That your love is for everyone. It's for the people who are easy to love, the people who are difficult to love, the people who are hard to love, and people that at some point along the way of life, you might even consider your enemies. You're called to love all of them. You love is for everyone. See, every one of us, we can grow to be more like Jesus. And if you notice, here's how we grow to be like Jesus. We grow, we grow a love that's selfless, a love that's action-oriented, a love that's sacrificial, a love that's showing, and a love that's for everyone. In other words, you could say this, that Jesus' love, a love like Jesus, the love that we're called to live out, is sassy. It's sassy, y'all. That's the kind of love that we're all called to show. A love that's selfless, that's action-oriented, that's sacrificial, that's showing, and that's for everyone. And if we'll grow in love like that, we can grow every single day to be more like Jesus. So are you willing to try? Are you willing to try? Because I'm willing to try. I want to take a step today and every day to love more like Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, for some of us right now, we're making a decision to follow you, to place our trust in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And God, I thank you for that, that for some of us, we're taking that step in that moment right now. Thank you for what's happening right now as people are finding freedom and joy and peace and salvation in knowing you. Thank you for what Jesus did for us. And God, thank you for the example that he set for us. God, for so many of us, there's some of this that's really difficult. For some of us, there's parts of this that come really easily. And for others of us, there's times of this where some of it comes so hard. And God, I pray that whether this comes easy or whether this comes, comes kind of difficult, I pray that we would all take a step today to know you, to follow you more closely, to live more like you, to love more like Jesus loved and, and showed an example for us. Help us to follow you in that. God, I pray that for us today, we would know what to do with what we've just heard and that we would actually take a step to live it out. Help us to do that in Jesus' name I pray, amen.